0: Welcome to My Life, is Supplied, episode 439. This program is dedicated in merit of Baruch ben Yomim ben Menuchel Lana and Miriam bas Sarah Alteis, Yikusil ben Le'e Rochel and Rochel bas Liba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todris ben Miriam and Sarah bas Rochel Alteis. This week is the week of Zayin The seventh of Adir, the birthday, and Istalkus Selula of Moshe Rabbeinu, as well as Pasha Tetzava. So we'll begin with that, as has become our custom, living with the times, to take the Chsidis applied and applying it to these events. What are the personal lessons for us in our lives? And then we'll go through a whole bunch of different topics that have been coming in and continue to pour in from. The audience, I do want to mention the website, com, completely dedicated to exactly the name. A forum where you can submit any question completely anonymously. Nothing is taboo, nothing is off limits. That has been the motto and the principle of this program from its inception 10 years ago. You can also find there all the archives of now 438 previous episodes as well as many of the essays and creative submissions over the years of the essay contest of applying cities to a contemporary issue or challenge. There's also other materials, including the daily class that I give in Ayin Bayes, which you, you're welcome to join. It's a daily live class every 9.30 New York time, Eastern time, 9.30 in the morning for one hour. On Sundays, it's at 10 o'clock. You can find all the information at hasidahsupply.com. One technical mention, technical, uh, due to technical reasons, we've been revamping the site, so the forum may not be working presently, but it will be corrected very quickly, and we apologize for any inconvenience. Now, to get to uh, Zainad, so Zainad. So 3,415 years ago, a man was born in Egypt. And his name would be known as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe. It's a name actually that was given to him not by his parents, Amram and Yechevet, but by the daughter of Pari. Because Moshe means, Minamai Mishisiyu. From water, he was drawn out of water. So the word Moshe there's many discussions where that word comes from, but bottom line it means to draw out, because Moshe's level was the level of water as we discussed many times here. So yes, 3,415 years ago, he was born. And this man changed the world. Obviously not alone, he was a man of God. It was God that chose him to change the world. And how did he do that? By first being the leader that would redeem and lead the people out of Mitzrayim in Egypt, and then lead them on their journey to the Har Sinai, where he received the Torah, God's mandate, that he gave the human race, of how to live up to the purpose and potential of existence. And Moshe Ben then led the Jewish people for 40 years in the wilderness. And sadly, because a man, a leader goes with his people, Moshe did not enter Eretz Yisrael as much as he wanted to. And this is the bulk of Chumash, the four books. Bereishis precedes Moshe, but in the four books afterwards, Shemais, Vayikra, Bamidbar, and Vardim. Moshe is the central figure. And these are the words, <laughs> the words that Moshe spoke, the words that Moshe conveyed, the words he channeled into this world, are the words of God that become the words of the most famous and best-selling book in all of history. And it's not the selling part, the commercial part of it, but it's just the popularity, how it penetrated and infiltrated every part of existence. So t- to know when he was born, and we don't know everybody when everybody was born. We know when he was born and when he passed away is, is a critical element in Moshe Rabbeinu because as we know, a birthday is a day when a person's journey begins. And the Hilula, the Histalkus, is a day, as the Altarab explains, is the day when all his work and everything he did gathers together, elevates. And as Paul Yashua's, the it affects salvations and redemptions in the depths of the earth. And Bikaravar, it's actually refers to Mitzrayim, where Moshe began his shlichus, when he was 80 years old. So that's the general importance of Moshe Rabbeinu. We also know, as the Altarab explains in Tanya, there's a Moshe Rabbeinu in each one of us. But before that, there's also a Moshe Rabbeinu in every generation. Yispastusha demesha b'chol dara as the Zeya says. There's an extension of Meishah, spark of Meishah. Meishah is the Shaman, the leader of every generation. And furthermore, in each one of us. And that's why we can be expected to live up to some of the qualities and standards that Meishah HaBainu established. Even though no one can compare it to Meishah, but still there's a Me'ein, as the Alter explains in Tanya. And the Pesach, On the Pesach, Moshe says to the Jews, What is God already asking of you? All well, he's asking is, is, is to, to have reverence of him. So the Gemara asks, mm-hmm. Moshe is making it like all he's asking is having reverence of God such a small thing. So the Gemara answers, Yeah, that by Moshe it's a small thing. So the Altarab asks Tanya, But uh, that's Moshe. We're talking about the Yat Yisrael. So that explains because there's a Moshe in each one of us. And compared to the Moshe within each one of us, reverence for the divine is something that we are all capable of. Not a small thing, and it's, we're all capable of it because of that power of Moshe. So when it all comes together, it means it also comes together in our own lives. And that's indeed why the Parsha of says in Svarim, and the Reb explains it in a number of sikhs, why is the only Parsha after Moshe is born, you don't find Moshe's name. Just as va'ata tetzav, you shall command. Because it's a rem is to hint, in a sense like honoring Moshe the fact that Moshe's passed away this week. So like his name somewhat was concealed. Not concealed fundamentally, but as to honor that. The Rebbe explains that actually reveals even a deeper part of Moshe, not as he manifests in Geluim, in Revelation, but va'ata. The ata of someone is the etzem of the person. So it's actually in this parasha we have a connection to the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why indeed what he what, what he commands, first the commandment of shemazai Zoch, the pure olive oil that was used in the Meneda, Nertomid, the Tumid, Tomid, the Halles Ne'er Tomid, is emphasized in this chapter, even though in the last chapter we already learned about um, building the Menorah, But here's about lighting the Menorah, and what does the Menorah symbolize? Ne'er Tomid, the eternal flame. And that is the essential essence of Moshe Rabbeinu, to create eternity within us, the eternal flame of God. So it's, you need the Koyach of Atot Tetzave. So all this comes together, both Tetzave and that this week, and it's the lessons we learn in our personal lives. What does it mean in practical terms? In practical terms it means this, that no matter what situation we're in, even if we feel we've fallen, or there's been a setback, we should know there's an atto within each one of us. And that we should know that that strength is always there. So it's not just, okay, I can get by and manage and survive and be resilient. No, you have a Moshe within you and a Moshe that's constantly feeding you and constantly nourishing you, like a true Raya Neman, a true faithful shepherd, always taking care of each of his sheep. So even though Moshe physically is not here, but the, the, the Gemara tells us, just as then he stood and served, so too does he serve now. And then there's the, the Moish of each generation. We also know the Mimer that the Rebbe gave out. The last Mimer that the Rebbe actually distributed was an Atat Tzava Mimer, Tov Shenun in 1992. Talks about this theme of Atat the Tzava. even talks about Neer Tomid, Kosses Lamoyer. to means, literally it means to press, to squeeze to, to, uh, to the olive, to draw out its best olive oil. And Kosas refers to even the times when we feel squeezed, when we feel pressured, when we feel afflicted, and there's difficulties. But that's how you bring out the deepest oil. The Rebbe explains in that moment that there are times when things are easier times, there are times when we feel pressured. But pressure is also part of the process. So Meshe Rabbein, the leader of a generation, of our generation, teaches us and gives us the power to deal with any given challenge and it's always important to know because sometimes life can be very lonely and we can forget our inner strengths, so we're reminded and that's one of the reasons we live with these stories and we live with the narrative of this week's chapter and the events of this week and Zayinod we also know Zayinod was the day when Moshe Rabbeinu as I said was the stalkers the day he went up on on the mountain of Harnevoi the maggid of mizuih taiches nevoi is nun boy, which means the fifty is within it because Moshe there was the God created six fifty gates of bina, nun shari bina, chamishim shari bina, fifty gates of bina of understanding, and forty nine he gave to us, but the the fiftieth remains eludes us. So Moshe was able to reach forty nine levels, but the fiftieth eluded him until he went and had nevoi. Similar to what it says when Moshe asked Hashem. God, he asked him, let me see, I want to see your face. And God says, no man can see me and live. The 50th gate is beyond us. But the day of his istalkus, when Meisha elevated on that level, as we know, that his passing was not just a regular one. It was one of a deep elevation, a deep connection, a deep bonding with God himself. Meisha, the only man that ever saw God face to face, as we're told. So you're able to reach a level of of which also teaches us that we also have that capacity because we have that as well within us. Many people will say, well, you know, I'm, I'd be happy if I could reach one level of the 50 gates. <laughs> 50 levels. But everything is relative. We say every day, several times, to love God, which means relative to each one of us, there's a maid is With all your heart, with all your soul, with all of you. And with all your might, with all beyond even. Even when when you say something, the the more of you. To go even beyond your natural comfort zone. Or your natural structure. So everyone has a meidech. Everyone has a hanun, the erech, relative. And everything is relative because as we grow, that 50th gate also becomes a higher level. And that's what we aspire to. We aspire to the highest levels possible. Even though, as I said, yes, it would be good if we can just control our temptations and our, our nonsense and our pettiness. So that's maybe the beginning of the Veda. But there are times we have to also know how great we can become. Without deluding ourselves on what level we're at, to know that we're shooting for the stars and beyond. We're not just going for limited levels. That's a Moshe Rabbeinu in our lives, that we have a Moshe. Even though nobody is like Moshe, but he has within us, a leader to us, and also within each one of us, we have that Moshe Rabbein. So it's a level, though, whenever you challenge, just keep that in mind. That the challenge may seem formidable, but as soon as you remind, remember, there's a Moshe within you. For Moshe, it's not formidable. You know what you, what power you have, what strengths you have, standing on the shoulders of giants, standing on with the string that we get from those that came before us and the leaders that we have, we can achieve things that we, on our own, would not seem to be possible. And it's a tremendous lesson, especially in life today with all the different challenges people have, even though yes, materially we're very successful and we have comforts that we've never had before, but still psychologically and emotionally at times, we need to be reminded of the tremendous, enormous and extraordinary powers and strengths and faculties and resources that we're given. Similar to what we discussed in, this, in the Basilikani, in the Maimon, when you we went to Fridika Rebbe, and the Rebbe elaborates upon that the simple soldiers are given the oitzes, the treasures, treasures that were never revealed to anyone to win the battle. And what battle is that? The battle with our own Nefesh is our animal soul, the battle with the darkness of this world. Every battle that you see, one of the hardest things is sometimes you feel it's, it's impossible to overcome. Look at the people who have conflicts. And fighting and no matter what you do, it doesn't seem like it's resolvable, or in our own personal lives, or around us. And then when you look at the Chosidists in general, and what the Rabbeim gave us, what the Moshe Rabbeinu of each generation gave us, you realize, one second, I have here unbelievable etzes, unbelievable etzes, unbelievable treasures. And when you see that, it's just, it just puts you into a different context, where it's things that are small, mabakach small matters, pettiness, melts away because you're involved in something so great and so powerful and so eternal. So yes, 3,415 years later we talk about it and the message continues to vibrate, it continues to resonate, continues to reverberate in us and everyone around us. And, it, and the messages of and the, and the objective of course is that each of us carries this message to every person we can reach through spreading Tata, spreading Tata as Moshe Rabbeinu, Tziva L'Anu Moshe, Merashah Kilis Yaakov, Zichro Tziris Moshe Avdi, the Tziris that Moshe passed on to us, which includes on the beginning, when he began on Rishchei Shvat, 37 days before Zaino, that he began to review the entire Tziris, Bayer Esa Tziris, to explain Tziris, and Bayer includes explaining it in 70 languages. And as the Rebbe explains, that that's what the Fritik Rebbe instituted, to take ter- and especially Khsidis and explain it in all languages, both language wise, physical language, but also the paradigm wise. The idiom should also be able to reach every person on earth. And that's our goal is to bring Yiddishkeit, Torah, and 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 to every corner of this earth and illuminate it to the point a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So just as Moshe was the seventh generation from Avramavin we are the seventh generation of the Alter Rebbe, to finish that job. So our work is cut out for us, and on another, and this week, with the power of Atatetzava, we have tremendous lessons in doing so. Okay, we also know when Moshe was born on Zion the house filled with light. And that too indicates that the, our house, our home, our, our lives are filled with light and with power, and even a little light dispels much darkness, how much more so a lot of light. Regarding Tetzava, so I more or less gave the general theme of Atto and Tetzava and the lesson from Shemen Shemon Zayazoch, Kosis Lamoir. The point is that the bottom line is we also have a shaman within each one of us as well. The shaman of Tayra, first of all, is Primisate, Razid Razidara. So that's why it's hidden within the olive. When you press it, you draw out the, the, the oil, and from it you create ner tamid, eternity, eternal light. Not just light, eternal light. And even though the Beis Hamidosh was destroyed, the temple, and the and it's not giving off physical light right now. So first of all, we know the Ramban says about Chanukah, which is an extension of the menerah and the Beis Hamidosh, that does illuminate the darkness through the generations. Second of all, there's the ne'er tomit of our Nerashem Hashem nishmasod, ne'r Hashem nishmasod. The flame of God is the soul of a human being, and that burns on forever and ever. Even when ani yeshena, I may be asleep, uh, my heart is awake, and the flame is there. The Altareb explains in chapter 18 and 19 in Tanya, that spark is always alive. There's always a pilot flame. and has the power to illuminate any given situation. You just have to fan the flame. You have to express it. You have to bring it out in actuality. It's not just enough to say it's there. And that we do through our actions. Our, mitzvah, our actions, near mitzvah v'teter er, a mitzvah which is compared to a candle, and teter er, the light of teira. And uh, we do it also through influencing others. That's what a flame does, a fire does. It illuminates everyone around you and warms the environment around you. So that's the continuing lesson of Moshe and going into At the Okay. Now, as I pointed out, mentioned, questions keep coming in. I can't keep up with the pace. I wish I could. I have not yet found the King Solomon solution how to fit into one hour, and so all the many questions there's just too many coming in. So we truck along, so to speak, and we cover the, as much as much as possible. So. Hopefully I can cover today some new questions that, have, that, have, that I already wanted to address for a while, but now maybe there's more opportunity to do so time-wise. So here goes the first question. If the Torah is God's absolute truth, how is it possible to ask two rabbis the exact same question and get two completely different answers? Does the Torah have an elastic clause that allows different rabbis to interpret it differently? So, very good question, but there's also a very good answer. And it's not my answer, it's an answer from, the, from, from, from Chazal. So we're told that when Moshe was on Mount Sinai and Hashem was teaching him the Torah, he didn't just teach him facts or laws, black and white laws, he also taught him, taught him methodology. So it says that, uh, that, that Hashem showed him took a verse and said here are 49 ways to interpret it in a way saying that this and this situation is impure, tomei, and 49 ways to explain, mem ponim 49 facets, or 49 ways to explain how it's pure. So Moshe asked Hashem, so which one is it? Hashem said, achrei lahatis. That's the verse in Mishpatim two weeks ago, the Pasha. it shall follow the consensus. Of course, the immediate question is, why can't you just tell us what to do? Why make it complicated? Why leave it open to two different opinions? But what do you see from this? And I'll answer that question in a moment. That Hashem created, gave us a teira, not just as a one-way transmission. Yes, the teda has the foundations and the basis, and that no one can ever change. Teda zulei, tehei mechlefes. You can't change the teda, God forbid. But the teda itself, part of it, is, recognizes and celebrates, actually, the diversity of this world. And then there'll be different approaches to things and different situations. So it's not a static Tata. It's a Hashem says, yes, I will show you the methodology. And I want you to use your minds, your partners with me in the study and the transmission and the rulings of Tata. And I want you to use your minds, not just to follow ro- uh, 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 rules like a puppet or a robot, there's the concept of nasa v'nishma. yes, you accept the basic principles, that nobody can change. But application, there's room. But he didn't just leave it for room, later you'll have disagreements or different approaches to things. Hashem himself taught Moshe Rabbeinu. So basically we're told, and Na'im Bez is actually in volume three, a whole section where he explains it at length, that we're actually told that, that the differences that you find in the Mishnah, in Tere Shabbat are not disagreements from the scholars. These were two different approaches that Moshe passed on as he was teaching Teda, as he heard it from Hashem. So the Teda itself has two different approaches. 49 actually. Not only 49, 49 one way and 49 another way. Later, there was other disagreements as a result because they didn't remember or there was a concealment of what was passed on generation to generation. But the very idea of different opinions is not a man-made thing. It's built into the teda. And the reason, as I said, is because of the partnership. It also makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Why? Because Hashem wanted us to apply teda on this earth. Teda is not in heaven. And that's where you find even the Gemara Bab Metziah where there's a machlekes, komifleke, an argument between Mesif de the the academy in heaven, and Masifta de the the academy of gods. So you think, how could there be disagreement? God himself is teaching and learning there's a disagreement in laws of purity and impurity and they say we have to go down. Man who's going to determine? Rabbi bar Nachmeni, you need someone. Teter's not in heaven. We need someone down on earth. And he rules. And his ruling stands, even if it wasn't like Masifta to the And we find that even a Bezden that establishes, for example, when the new month is based on witnesses, testimony, even if they make a mistake, even if it's intentional, you follow them. Here's not the place to go into all the details of this. He explains this also in IYAMBs, because the shamas are even higher than Teda. But the point being is that we are partners in the process. And that indeed is why you can go with the same question to two rabbis and get two different answers. Now, of course, we're talking within the reservation, within the framework, within the context of Teda and following its rules. Including its method its rules of methodology, the Yud Gimel Midisha Dresh is and the other different, which is the thirteen rules of methodologies that the Tera is discussed. Kavachem, Exedus Shava, as we say every morning in Dav, before we begin Haidu. And there's even more than than those thirteen, so you need to have those methodologies. Because as long as you follow those methodologies, and you're talking about it ordained means someone that has smich me piish ish, ordained, and has shimush, which means experience, and has Yerushamayim. Then you could have a shama, you could have a hillah You could have different opinions as we have and all through the generations, even today. There are issues that different rabbis rule differently, and they can disagree one extreme to the next, as long as it's within that structure. And that's part of the beauty of Tayr. But we're not talking about changing what it says. We're not talking about using your own methodologies. It's all part of the divine plan. In practical applied, to terms, it means that Judaism, though it is God's absolute wisdom and will, also demands that it be tailored to each person. We educate a child according to his way or her way. What does that mean? Well, it should be according to the way of Taylor. No, because teta, is, yes, there's the way of teta, but the teta has to be applied. It's to be tailored to each person, just like a teacher teaches different children or parents. You're not gonna teach every child equally. You have to measure and see where the child is at. Is that a compromise of the teta? No, it's the same teta semis, on the contrary. That proves it's truth, that MS, like the word MS, like the Yerushalmi says, is true in all circumstances, not just for a certain type of person, not just for the smartest child, not for the average child, not for the weakest child, for everybody. Emes, the letters of emes, truth means tetes emes, aleph, memsov, the first, last, and middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet because truth means it's true throughout. That's the beauty of it, that the truth per- permeates and impacts and is relevant to every type of person. That shows that it's a title for every human being, not just a certain group, God forbid. So the lesson is that as much as we know the truths of the Torah, they have to also be applied and, and at the pace that person can digest it and internalize it and integrate it properly. A question, I mean, every question you could say is related to another, but this is ostensibly unrelated, even though it has certain segue what I just mentioned about a child. How to treat a child who has wandered away And what to tell my other children? Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for your excellent classes. Hashem should bless you with continued Hatzlach, begashmius and beruchnius. Question: Baruch Hashem, have a number of adult children, all married, with families, except one. And painful as it is to say, that one adult is of the derech al Personally, I don't. I'm just commenting. I don't like the expression of the derech. Uh, just for the record, but uh, I'm reading as the letter is written. I will call her Ella, not her real name. Ella Baruch Hashem does keep certain mitzvahs like lighting Shabbos candles and more. For example, conscious wise, she is mainly vegetarian, would find it disgusting to eat the meat of animals that are us and the tere, and she wouldn't eat bread on Pesach. But another area, Shabbos, even in public, or tziniyis, and, belief, and beliefs are sometimes openly things that are, she says, things contrary to the tale. Thank God our family is united and we all get along. We love and accept her and she feels the love. The trouble is that some of my grandchildren are entering the sensitive pre-teen, teen stage. The kids see their lively, fun-loving young aunt who sends nice birthday cards with nice gifts of money. They see how she dresses, and they have possibly heard her sometimes say irreverent things and disrespectful things about the tailor. I heard by the grapevine that one parent openly tells their children that Ella is not behaving in a Torah way and warns them not to think she's cool. In the family of another child of mine, the parents won't say anything bad about Ella. They rarely see her anyway, and they just let things slide until now. The problem is in the second family, the 11-year-old girl thinks Ella's kind of cool. She recently said to her mother, being of the derech isn't so bad. After all, Ella is off the derech. I know this needs to be nipped in the bud. I know that, according to the Torah law, it's permissible as in fact, the or benefit. And important to warn the grandchildren about Ella, how should I deal with this? What can I say to my granddaughter? I'd like to get the message across to her without it being the mean Bobby. And of course, Ella is my child, and speaking about her is painful. What would I encourage the parents in the second family to say? And to what age children should this be spoken about? I want the kids to be inoculated, but I would rather not make them hate Ella. Thank you in advance. I appreciate the sensitive question. As you can imagine, you're not the only one that has this question, unfortunately. And uh, it's important to address. I will say this, being that we're doing this program already 10 years, I definitely addressed this issue one way or another over the years. But the issue has not gone away. So it's always worthwhile to review, even to repeat, and maybe to add new points. So let's go back to what I said earlier about chanei apidarke. api It's interesting because you could argue chanei api derech What's the darke. And yet we say, because as I explained, you want the derech Teira to be tailored, to speak to that individual. Now all that is obviously predicated on the fact that we're talking about Teira. As I said before, the methodology of Taira. we're not talking about going away from teirah, But what you see from that, that there's a sensitivity to the particular child. Now we're not here to judge, and we're not here to evaluate, and and I couldn't even do so even if I had wanted to, because I don't know all the details. Since you're calling her Ella, I'll refer to her as Ella, Ella's situation. What brought her to where she is now? And I'm not suggesting she doesn't have a right to do and think as she wishes. Every person is an independent individual but it's hard to speak about someone without knowing what, or why they in that place. Is it, was it purely a philosophical conclusion that she came to? Is it due to some experiences? Is it due to hypocrisy that she witnessed? Or other factors? That's regarding her, which is not the topic of the conversation. I just wanted to cover all the bases here. As far as treating her, what you said at the beginning of your note is exactly right. She's your daughter. She's the sister of your other children. She's the aunt of your grandchildren. And as such, she should be loved unconditionally, regardless of what her behavior is. And let's say somebody who's behaving completely up shame t- shamer t- and and behaves in an obnoxious way at the table. So what do you do then? Your children are also gonna see that. So what do we say then? We say, that's not the tater way, the obnoxious behavior. The tater has expectations of us. So I would find the right language where we say may the sins be erased not the sinner this is not about ella per se she's a human being god created her she's your child she's part of your family and will always be part of your family this is definitely convey to your grandchildren there's nothing to be ashamed of nothing to hide to avoid her she's who she is as far as her behavior and her choices go the way i would explain it I mean, the age we'll talk about in a moment, when the children are of different age, where well, you could say, that Ella is a beautiful person. She's made certain choices. We follow the Torah mitzvahs in a very revealed way. Ella's found her way to follow Torah, how she understands it, and certain things she may not accept or she doesn't, at this point, doesn't really appreciate. Again, you have to find the right words, but I'm giving as many words as I can. And it's not about we don't agree with that, and that's why we teach keeping Shabbos and we teach everything. We love Ella. And there'll be many people you're gonna meet in this world that are Jewish people who either grew up and from homes and today are not necessarily behaving that way externally. But they're beautiful people and we should love everyone even if we don't necessarily agree with their lifestyle. So that's one message. The second message is that Hashem created us all, including Ella, everybody has to create a relationship with God in their unique way. The Torah Mitzvah was given us to us, not just to follow laws, but it should actually be tailored. Like I mentioned, pidarke, that it should be tailored to you and to I. Ella, we have no doubt, is, is, has some relationship with God in her own way. Whatever reason, she perhaps is not channeling it through this particular, either she doesn't experience it or she has does it in her own way. And we don't know what's going on in her private life. So in other words, I would not invalidate her. And I wouldn't invalidate the hope for her because that's another thing you want to always keep in mind. We don't know where it's going to be tomorrow. When we hear about a person who's not doing Torah Mitzvahs, God forbid, the way we speak about it is that right now they're not doing it or not in a revealed way because every Eid wants to be connected to God and every some like the Rambam Paschans in the end of chapter 2 of Ichiz Gedosh, every id wants to do Torah and Mitzvahs and will not do something opposite of Mitzvahs. But You have a Yitzhahara that has concealed, and it's a good opportunity to explain to your children, we all have a Yitzhahara. I have one, you have one, and we have to condemn with it. El also has one. We're not here to talk about her. That's her struggle. We have to figure out ways to deal with our Yitzhahara. No, it's to me, to, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm not trying to normalize or definitely not condone her behavior, but you normalize the Yitzhahara aspect of it. That's, a, that's part of life. So why is the Yetzirah wanted to want to do something that a Jew does, different than the Yetzirah of someone who decided not to be Frum, at least, again, Begali, uh, for the moment. It's basically broadening the discussion instead of it becoming personalized, becoming far more conceptual in a way. I mean, conceptual, I don't mean theoretical, but conceptual, it's not about her. It's about all of us face our challenges, and at the same time, each of us, none of us are perfect. I'm also not perfect, and you may see me I'm speaking as the Bobby right now, and I'm, I may do something. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I say something I shouldn't have said. The goal is we have standards, and we all are trying to work toward it. Ella is part of that journey as well. The problem has become that we begin to categorize people by certain behaviors that don't look, you know, like for example, if someone speaks Lush and hara but they keep Shabbos, we see that as okay. But if they don't keep Shabbos, especially publicly, or they say something that's irreverent about Taylor. That's like they the, the crossed the line. I'm not here to compare. Obviously, there's some things that are seem bigger than others, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings that are flawed, and it's just different ways it manifests. Our focus has to be on the positive, including Ella, and that's my final point, to focus on the beautiful things that she's about. She's a kind person, giving matanas, other things. Focus on that, and, and you see, Taylor Mitzvah is a wide variety. It's not just Shabbos and Kashos. Not to take away in any way, I'm not, or here, Kashos, Shabbos, and Sniyaz. I'm not minimizing, I'm not trying to make it aside. As but it's a broad picture, and sometimes you have to emphasize, look at how beautiful this person is, look how many good things they're doing. A mitzvah, get at this mitzvah. One mitzvah will lead to another mitzvah. I have no doubt that this attitude not only will educate your children better, but they'll also help Allah indirectly. Because these things are subtle, but, they, but they, they're picked up by people, these messages. And it's taking a whole attitude of understanding what a nesham is. Every neshama is God's child. Ella is, is no different. How we behave, does the child become less of a child because they behave in a way, you could use a personal example, is it because my child may not do always something I like? Do I lo- lo- have less love for that child? God forbid. The contrary, I may have even more love. And try to work bend over backwards and try to work overtime to help compensate at the same time you have to respect people's boundaries and people's um individuality now what age every age is different obviously very young age children won't understand all these nuances so you have to find the right age even at a young age i mean just like when you invite someone to the table that's not your child your physical child and they are a person that say that is is clearly not yet, Shem Mitzvah. What do you tell your children? They see that. And they look cool with other things that you described. The same idea. It's a beautiful person. God created that person. They have a beautiful neshama. We're here Shabbos. And we grow. Mitzvah get at mitzvah. Do one mitzvah, and then one mitzvah brings another. The soul is always alive. Ani yeshena I may be asleep, or am asleep, but my heart is always awake. The, the, the Jewish heart, the neshama is always awake question is how to reach it and how to get it active, to activate it. Okay. How do I do tshuva for a terrible sin? Hi. I'm going to have to censor this um, note a bit because it's very explicit. So um, I apologize to the person, but I think for the listener, the message will come across. I'm a 27-year-old single male with a regular yeshiva. Brooklyn-Lakewood background. <clears throat> I did an insane and terrible thing and don't know what to do now. He describes what he did. It was something in the area of sexuality. And um, I'm planning on going to the mikveh as soon as possible, but other than that, I need guidance on a path to Truva. I don't know what possessed me to do such a thing. This is beyond abnormal for me and I'm absolutely besides myself and I'm very lost on what to do now. Please help or direct me on who to contact." So, it's a good point you're making because it's always good to speak to an individual one-on-one so they understand your situation, your feelings, and they can address it more, more case by case individually. But since this is a question that is a general one that many people have and some people don't even want to speak to anyone yet, maybe embarrassed or ashamed or just wanna push it aside, I think it's important to address again i may I must have talked about this over the years, but unfortunately, still Moshiach comes completely, we do not have yet solved we have not yet solved all these issues. Just to begin with a story I heard that when the Balhanta before he passed away, his Talmudim asked him, how are we going to know who the next who our next Rebbe is going to be? So he gave them a sign he said whoever you meet, ask them if they have an etzer for machosho v'zodas. They have a solution for negative thoughts, bad thoughts, you know, foreign thoughts. Thoughts about things that you're not supposed to think about. And they said, okay, and we'll ask, so well then how do we know? He says, if he gives you an etzer, it means he's not a real Rebbe. If he gives you advice, it means he doesn't, he's not the real thing. In meaning, machosho you can not just get rid of easily. Like it says in the Mishnah, and then Alta Rebbe brings it in Tanya, and Pei Rekir, and Allah if you'd Hirhuday Tshuva, I'm sorry, Hirhuday <laughs> Aveda, thoughts of sin, Arkashim Aveda, Harden Aveda, and there are three things that a person can't protect themselves. You can protect yourself from, from deliberately thinking, but the inadvertent thought will fall into a person's mind that's not a tzaddik. The Bainini has the power to sub- suppress it, to control it, to Mayakh uh, shalta to think about other things, distract himself, the way he explains in Tanya. So this is not to minimize bad thoughts or bad behaviors. It's just to recognize, yes, we have a Yetzirah. The reason Chassidus says the way to deal with a Yetzirah is not to beat it up, even though in one place in time he does say that, to yell at it, but that comes later in Tanya. And it's not to panic over it and not to turn it into a whole trauma. Because then you're basically, your Yetzirah is taken over. It's similar to what we've discussed about suffering or pain. We have to deal with suffering and pain, but it doesn't define you. Your Yetzirah does not define you. Your nefesh your divine soul, your chelik al mamish defines you. Now something has happened, so it's been defiled. Now you have to figure out what to do about it. But the tone that you're describing is one, that basically I'm a terrible person, and now it's been confirmed. Or, no, I wasn't a terrible person, I became a terrible person. No, you haven't become a terrible person. You're a person who fell, as we all do, maybe in a worse situation, sometimes not so worse, your goal right now is to get your Neshama to come alive. The fact that you're feeling this way, so one thing you can become, it can demoralize you. and You feel depressed, and you feel, what what am I going to do? But remember, demoralization, as he explains in Tanya, chapter 26 and on, that itself is the Yetzirah, because it doesn't motivate you. If these feelings are motivating you, my neshama is so beautiful. Think of, you did something to someone who's so beautiful. What do I do to make amends? So your goal now is to bring the neshama back out. Yes, you may have to clean So we know tshuva is what? How do you clean up? You know the same situation comes up again. You make a very strong determination. You'll never do it again. Even more so, you'll also influence others by what you've experienced. You now have a certain sensitivity. You can help others preempt situations like this. But above all, you're turning, like we say, that if you learn one pay to, to a chuva, you start learning two pro. You double and triple your efforts in the positive and bring light into your life. You cannot be, when a person comes into, a, a, into an emergency room, so they're traumatized enough. If you start traumatizing even more, then it becomes even worse. The situation will become worse. We have to stabilize. And the first way to stabilize is to say, okay, it happened. You're not in denial, you're honestly addressing it. So now, what you need to clean up, you'll clean up, meaning not to do it again, but not to obsess over that. Now you have to become obsessed on the positive with the beauty. Immerse if your neshama went and fell into such a place, now immerse it in something that is double, triple, teta, mitzvis, chsidis, prinisat, doing things that help others. So you become a new person afterwards. Not a new person who's more terrified than ever before, look how terrible I am, but a person who's a new, renewed person because this has taught you something and has brought out even more beauty in you, has brought out even more refinement. So this is not about damage control. And it's really a different attitude to how we look at a person. If a person is fundamentally an animal, as some psychologists think, or if a person is fundamentally a bad person, and you only be, in parashaneach, Adam adam ramanu urav. That the yitzah of the person, inclination, is not as bad as evil, as selfish from the childhood. But that comes after Pasha Breshis where it says we're created as the Altar explains that God instilled in us a neshama, chelikah and malmamash. Then there's another voice. But that's not who you fundamentally are. If you thought you're fundamentally that and then a person behaves, okay, you know what? They've succumbed to their natural side and uh, just revealed that they are indeed horrible. But that's not the case. Your beautiful soul that entered into this world was placed into a world like in and nesata b'tahedihi. Also, you say that in the morning. I'm talking to the person who wrote this. Even after this happened, doesn't say anywhere you stop saying the neshama that you gave me is not pure, God forbid. bin b'nishmasi, and this soul that you've returned to me in the morning is tohedihi, is pure. Then Atabarosha was created. at yitzata, and indeed, vata neshama you need to be, it needs to be protected within, within me. But all that is because the neshama is a pure neshama, and then God protects it. Now, in case something happens, you have to reinforce, do whatever it takes to be a stronger person. But always remember, you want to bring out the tahiri you want to bring the purity out more. Before we spoke about Qasis lamoyed, you want to bring out the Shemin zayzach, the pure olive oil that sometimes is trapped in the olive and needs to be pressed. Tshuva is a form of pressure. So the fact that you're describing how you feel should be a catalyst to bringing out the beautiful, pure oil that's inside your soul. What is the ego good for? Next question. What is the ego good for? Is it good in some way? I find it to always be in the way of understanding and seeing things clearly, and it seems to make empathy difficult. Ego, that is. Can you do a discussion about ego and empathy? Is it possible to get rid of the ego? So we know even when it comes to Tamidich HaChemim, who are egoless, it says they have to have shmini sheba shminis, an eighth of an eighth. Because you can never become a doormat, a scupa and addresses, dresses, where people walk over you. There has to always be an element of pride, but healthy pride, holy pride, but only shemini shemini. So the idea of complete egolessness, even though there's the concept in Chassidus of bit yesh and bit mitzis, which I'll discuss in a moment, but firstly, that comes in stages. And that's also not annihilation of who you are. It's taking the you, the yesh, in the language of Chassidus, and channeling it to become a channel for the yesh amiti, for what God wants, for the real reality, the true yesh, the true reality, the true existence, that you are now a channel of it. So it's not becoming annihilated or obliterated. That's not the, word, the, the meaning. The meaning is that it shouldn't be directed for your own needs. It should be directed toward God's needs. But if you become nothing in the sense of, of, of meaninglessness and insignificance as in a negative way, especially in a demoralized way, as I described before, that's not the intention. So we talk about ego, we need to know what we mean. If you're talking about ego as in self, selfishness, narcissism, Self-interest, that is the opposite of empathy. Yes, that's something we need to work on. That, that borders on God, God, uh, arrogance, God says, I and him, and the arrogant person, can't reside under one canopy. There's no room. So if you're talking about that ego, that has to be sublimated. That's called Bitlayash, sublimating the, the, that sense of self. Bit is a sense sense sub, is subjugating the entire being but subjugation, as I said, is not annihilation. It means suspending or shedding one layer of self to assume a deeper self, the self that represents God in this world. If you walk on earth, if Avraham of Yaakov and all the great tzaddikim and Moshe Rabbein worked on this earth and they were completely meaningless in their own eyes, they wouldn't have accomplished what they accomplished. They became channels. Their self became a channel for God's identity. That's the ultimate goal. So you have to know where ego is a negative, which that you need to shed, and where ego, and then there's the element of bitl and the humility and the modesty and the submission and the dedication that Bittl brings. But that in turn brings from iskafia to isapche. Not just that you're avoiding and refraining from that element of self, but that yourself actually becomes a channel of God's self, of God's identity in this world. That's briefly the point. And then of course. The self is not a contradiction to empathy. It embodies, it, person- it personifies empathy. Okay. A bunch of questions I received about prayer. So let me do a few of those in the ongoing series. As I said, there are certain topics that are that, uh, that are uh, re- recurring topics that come back again and again. Phil is one of them. Shalom bias is another one. Many different topics, so let's, do, let's dedicate a few to uh, Davin, which is in some ways a lost art. It's not just about uh, lip service. So let's do, why, why are our prayers not being answered? What does this say about the power of prayer and how prayer works and how by us asking for something we have the power to change Hashem's plans? An extension of that question: Another is, if praying and saying him worked, then wouldn't there be nobody in the hospital and everyone would be would have won the lottery? If we don't underst- know, or un- if we don't know or understand God's ways, then how do we know and understand He wants us to daven? Okay. So it's really three different questions. We'll address one at a time. So this is something I believe I discussed last week, and definitely in the previous weeks and months. Vavadatam as Hashem is the verse used that we know that we have to pray. That's one of the places that we learn vavadatam, or like dasalakei avicha vavdu of shalom. What's avada? Ezo avada shabeleve zuhi tefilla. That's what the Gemara says, and other sources. I'm not going to go through the whole uh, where prayers state in the Torah. So firstly, it's a mitzvah in the Taylor. The essential mitzvah is to ask for things you need. But then the prayers, the Chachamim added different elements to the prayers that support that and more parts of it and so on and how we communicate with God. You look at Chassidus. Turned Avedus had filled into a whole journey. It was always a journey, but even more so that when you contemplate and you connect to Hashem in your soul, it can be a journey that can take hours and hours. So it's about a relationship with God. Even if it begins with needs, but still a relationship. I'm asking God for my needs. I'm not doing just my own. I turn to God for help. So the concept of prayer is essentially a gift that God gave us, a mitzvah. Mitzvah, Tzavzeh V'chibur, to connect us with Hashem, just like Tfil also comes from the word naftuli, from the word hateful klecheres, which is to attach, To connect. So that's overall what prayer is about. That Hashem hears our prayers is not a question, of course. He never sleeps or slumbers. He always hears what's happening. And he's never distracted. The question that people ask is, why don't I get my answer to what I asked for? So firstly, maybe you did get the answer. You're just in a different language or in a different form than you expected. So maybe you have to broaden your horizons. Sometimes the answer comes a little later. Sometimes it comes in a different form. Every doubt Philah, opens up a door, as the Shalom explains. Sometimes there are more doors to open. And sometimes Hashem may say no to the way you asked it, but in a different way. Moshe prayed and 515 prayers, tofkuf tezvav, gematri vezchanan prayers, to go into Eretz Then finally Hashem said, stop. Well, you think they didn't have any effect? If Hashem said not to pray, why did he, he should have stopped them after the first prayer? Every prayer has an effect. Tovkuf Tezvav, this explains, Kabbalah explains. Tovkuf, Pamin Yutke, Tezvav 15, 500 times 15, and it, each one created Hamshakh. and it helped the Eden go into to and helped us through the years through Golis. So to say it doesn't have an effect, God forbid. Now, how exactly it works? Prayer has a mechanism. We like, like, to use a simple example, a child calling out to his father or mother and reaches out and there's something in the, in the father that responds. The Ebersheta obviously, Kav yochel, we don't call this, Avinu Sheh our father in heaven. And, the other children. And al Like a father that has compassion on his children. That's the mechanism. And that itself, there are many details. You start learning in Chesidus, it starts talking about how the Malachim carry the prayers and a prayer with Kavanah, and Tanya elaborates on it. I'm going to go through what prayer is right now in all detail. I'm talking more to answer these, these questions. And Tefillah has the power, yihirotsen to actually change God's plans. In other words, the plan above, the divine plan may have been so-and-so. This has been the script. So Ab-roche, we discussed a while back, can only reveal that which is destined for you. But it tefillah has the power to change. So even if a person was, de- 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 was de- de- decreed or designated that they should, God forbid, pass away, you could change the plan. A tzaddik obviously has the power, tzaddik gezer, kosh baruch ha'mekayim, kosh baruch gezer. tzaddik has the power even furthermore to even literally to completely change the entire plan Again, not to go into the difference between a tzaddik and all of us, but every prayer has the power of Ratz and Now, why? Not, of course, we say to we say all the brachas for mishaberach and Rafur and so on. So, why is not everyone healed? Or the brachas for Parnos, so why is not everybody wealthy? Again, this is part of God's plan. We don't have an answer to that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. We prefer to pray every day, three times a day for these things. But Hashem has the plan how it's going to work out. Also, you have to make a keli for it. A prayer sometimes needs also a keli. It has to be a tasa. You have to make some container. Personal person will pray for parnasa for livelihood, but not go look for a job. Or to pray for healing and doesn't go to a doctor. Where's the bracha going to manifest? So it's more than just the prayer itself at times. And then the question, if we don't know or understand God's ways, how do we know and understand He wants us to be David? Because the Torah says so. That's like anything. How do we know that Hashem wants us to understand God? Because da'as ha'alikei the adaita ta'ayim, use our minds to the fullest capacity to understand. And God Himself manifested godliness in chabad, chagas nihim, in the Sviris, through the worlds, in a way that we can understand Him. He Himself, atar l'adas, revealed Himself that that we should know Him, we should perceive Him. That, that covers that. Another question, magical powers. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. I would like to ask about prayer and mitzvah, which are part of prayer. Fill in candlelights, wine, and mitzvahs, which are, with, and mitzvahs, which are part of prayer. Okay. Firstly, is the Hebrew which prayers are recited akin to magical powers, the kind which has the ability with Hashem's blessing to affect and change the world and other worlds? I read that abracadabra is Hebrew for, with my word I create. Yeah, ibra, kadibra. Ibra from the word. bara that's what the Gemara says. The rituals which are part of prayer are essential, along with proper kavana, to the power of praying, being successful, and achieving its purpose. Are the rituals part of the prayer which are essential, together with Kavona, to the power of prayer, being successful in achieving his purpose. I know it may seem crazy, but so many fictional books and stories about magic has caused me to see that Hebrew seems to be a holy and magical force, essential to the Jewish people, completing our purpose here. Thank you for listening to my question and for all the wonderful work that you do. Many blessings to you. Well, the word magic you know, is a very broad word. We don't like to use the word magic. As a matter of fact, whether you're talking about magic like a magician's sleight of hand or you talk about magic like sorcery, which is actually forbidden, both of them would not apply here. Think of it, I would say it more, I'll put it more in scientific terms. Just as we know today, you can manipulate a cell, you can manipulate DNA, you can manipulate subatomic particles and we create technologies based on it. So the same idea is God gave us tools, which are the mitzvahs, including prayer, that has the power to reach into the engine room of how God created existence. And through that, we can can either reveal things or brought things out. But same thing like you take vitamins, just to use again a physical example, vitamins or minerals or other supplements, and they strengthen part of your body or they activate or they generate certain things, they trigger... The same thing in this case. This doesn't have to be called magic. For maybe an ignorant person it would look magical. Hey, you said a prayer and something accomplished. Amagel prayed or someone else prayed and, uh, and the rain came down. But it's not magical. The rain has, is a blessing and a process and there's a way, a process of how we draw that down. We don't see this as magical. We see it as part of the process of cause and effect, and action and reaction in existence. A mitzvah connects us to our source, to our divine source, and therefore it draws energy down. It's like behaving in a healthy way, exercising. An Aveda is displacement, misaligns, disconnects us, and therefore blocks, it's like if someone doing something toxic. That blocks the flow of a healthy flow inside the body. That's the best way to really describe it. As far as ibra kadibra, it's taka used, but it's not used in the context of tefillah. It's used there actually in a thing that's not allowed. Ibra kadibra, that means that a person says something, a certain type of incantation or words, and they created something, created a golem or created some animal or whatever it may be, an eagle, as the Gemara talks about. But that has nothing to do with our discussion in davening. So yes, our dibor, our words, we see even words between people. A word can, can kill, God forbid, and a word can also bring someone alive. The Gemara actually compares it to that, that when a word, when someone says something negative, is compared to killing someone because it causes the blood to flush, their face to flush, the blood to rush out, and they become pale, which is a form of affecting your blood flow. So we see even words have an effect on people. Definitely words that are spoken to God have an effect but I wouldn't call it in any way magical. I would describe it the way I just described it. Okay. At this point, I believe we'll stop here. There are more questions on tefillah that I'd like to do, but we'll save that for uh, future programs. So let me wish everybody again, since it's the month of other, Misha other Marben Besimcha. As other enters, we increase in simcha. As I explained last week, and uh, just to re- re- reiterate, simcha is our natural state. So it's not like regulating or imposing. Someone says, I'm not in a joyous mood. Joy is the natural state of the soul. It's about accessing it. And one of the ways we do it is by Meshach Nicholos recognizing to be a giver. When you're not focusing on your needs and what's lacking, which is usually the source of melancholy and sadness, you're focusing on giving, and that's why Rishchidosh Sadr. It says that Rishchidosh uh, Mashmien al Ashkolim. That's when we begin to focus on the Shkolem of giving. Shekel referring to the Shekel HaKedosh, the coin that we give in Zucker. When you focus on others, and you help others, and generally it's a, almost an automatic source of joy. Try it out. You focus on yourself, in many cases it's not. Especially about your needs and what you're lacking, and so on. But bottom line is, it's accessing the natural part of you. So as saw, the Marben Besimcha, we increase in joy, increase. That means joy is all year round. Evedus Hashem Besimcha, we serve God with joy all the time. Joy opens up channels. You see, when people are joyous, they're expansive. Simcha putted together, it also breaks through boundaries and breaks through obstacles and impediments and so on. And Marben, we increase, and in every day Mielim bekedesh May it be a real Simcha Dikah month for each one of you, a month that leads us into Simchas Purim, but especially into Simchas Elam al the ultimate Simcha, Mismach Gula, of the Gula Amitiz V'Hashlema. And your Yefutsu, the work we're doing, the work of this program, Chassidus Applied, reaching as many people as we can with um, Chassidus, is what Mashiach told the Mashiach told about Tov, that's when Osimar, to Malka Mashiach, when? This has been My Life, Chassidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be well, and asim chadikah afrelech Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.